Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello there, my fellow fishy. They're not fish, though, are they? My Flippered friends, welcome back to another exciting installment of Trek Culture's Dolphin series. And I'm hoping by the time you're watching this, we should have surpassed the 100,000 subscribers mark. Now, either we have, in which case, or we haven't, I look really stupid. Eh, you look stupid anyway, Alan. Yes, I know, shut up. Anyway, welcome to this video where we are going to explore not a landmark vessel in the Federation flag fleet or the starship squad or it's been a long time since i filmed a video but just because we've exhausted all the hero ships does not mean we've exhausted all the interesting ships that found their way onto the screens during various star trek series and no ship is more interesting imho than the borg cube it was designed to be completely incomprehensible. Data called it strangely generalized. It was supposed to look unlike anything we had seen on the show this far and just be difficult to wrap your head around, both in the sheer scale of it and also in its function. And of course, given that the vessel in its very design was supposed to be unknowable, that means there's lots of things that you don't know. So guess what this video is about? Yes, you've seen them before. My name is Adam Cleary and these are 10 secrets of the Borg Cube you need to know. Number 10, model kit parts and paper clips. Little interesting bit for you here, the entire description on which that iconic vessel was based around from Maurice Hurley's script for the Star Trek episode Q Who in which it debuted was just this. It's box-like with none of the aerodynamic qualities associated with most spaceships, including the Enterprise. This is a case of form following function. Now, an interesting thing about the vessel's construction was that the production team asked that Starlight, the company that manufactured it, only build five of its six sides, given it was pretty much always going to be static, look identical from very many angles, and they just wanted to be able to get into it so it could be lit and illuminated and controlled much easier. Quite like that, actually makes it slightly less scary every time you see it on screen. If you just went around the back of it, it's just a yawning chasm. That said, though, the Next Generation's VFX team did not like the model one bit. They called it ugly, difficult to manage, it was near impossible to light, and as well, it was very tricky to film with. And, right, so here's how it's made. Gary Hutzel, who built the model that was blown up in the Best of Both Worlds Part 2, he made it, right, and I genuinely mean this. Have you ever played, like, Warhammer 40k or had an Airfix model? You know the sprues all the pieces come on that you have to clip them all off? and you're left with those just random frames of plastic. He went and bought model kits, stripped all of the identifiable material off them, then just kept gluing them one by one to the outside of the ship and spraying it black. It's just spare model sprues. 
Now, of course, by the time it rolled around for first contact, Industrial Light and Magic got their hands on it and made a far better, far more elaborate, far more cinema-friendly version of the ship. But the original one that gets blowed up in the next generation is just bits of plastic. But that said, though, ILM did not get such a reputation for being able to produce these things by wasting money in the process. There are still random everyday items glued to the side of the physical model that is in first contact, including paper clips, for some reason. Number nine, the great burden of the galaxy. Actually, I do not envy Paul one bit for having to put this article together, because normally we pull from the extensive technical manuals that have been written about these ships and go, ooh, that's interesting, or ooh, what a novelty, and we kind of go from there. But there are none. There are none about the ball cube, because the whole idea is it's supposed to be mysterious. Like, think about it. How does data describe it? No identifiable bridge, no identifiable engineering section, no obvious living quarters. We're not really supposed to know how the thing works on the inside. But do not be disappointed. We would not be doing a video just like, yeah, we don't actually know anything about it. Huh, weird, eh? Comment below because we have actually sort of learned how it moves. Jerry Taylor's production notes for Star Trek Voyager when the Borg were being introduced there were thus. The Borg ship itself hasn't been given its cannon propulsion system, but Mike Okunda and I fiddled around with a few concepts. In QHU, Data read no centralised propulsion system on the cube. Okay, the engines could be small and in great numbers. The power source could also be decentralised, but we hit on an idea that perhaps the cube itself contained no actual power plant for distant travel. It could utilise some subspace energy potential of the entire Milky Way galaxy as its power source, essentially tapping it like a giant battery. Never actually made it onto screen that, but the idea that they don't actually have a power supply, they just literally suck it from the galaxy itself is about as good as any. Despite the fact the Borg arrived in Voyager something like four months after the first contact, the cube itself got another redesign for the TV series. And this one, the one that appears in Unity, is a hybrid of the two previous physical models, but rendered completely in CGI. Number eight, the Borg Pyramid. Now this cube appeared in 15 episodes of Voyager and was then upgraded to be the tactical Borg cube that destroys the Delta Flyer. Now I know what you're thinking, did you guys ask Doug Drexler about this? You know, seeing as I asked him about the whole NX-01 thing and he told you there was secretly a fireman's pole on the bridge of the Enterprise and it was the greatest thing you've ever heard. You, you asked him about the ball cube, right? Because he was working on that. Well no, well, no, not exactly. Like, he's busy where... No, we just forgot, okay? But he was working on the cube at the time, and he was told that when he was asked to redesign it to come up with a tactical cube or a battle cube, his response was... But it's a cube. That's like asking me to redesign a basketball. Now, in the end, you remember they put all those panels on it and it looked sleek and shiny and sexy and very, very dangerous. But the other idea they did consider was a Borg pyramid. They just decided not to do it because then the three Borg vessels next to each other would look like the UPS logo. Oh, sorry, sorry. The, U the UPN logo. I don't, I don't know what either of those are. Number seven, the sphere. And as we're talking about shapes, yes we are, let's get on to the sphere, because you remember in First Contact, it births itself out of the blowing up cube, and then that's how they do the thing, and they blow it up, and then, oh, they've been down, there on the ship, ah, you've seen the film. Apparently in the original version of the script, it was supposed to be like a warship for the Borg, but then as the script changed, it ended up being more of a lifeboat. Now, while it is obviously a fraction the size of the ball cube, I think something like 600 metres compared to the cube's 3,000 metres squared. I'm pretending I'm remembering that as if I haven't just read it off my script. Haha, <laughs> the wonders of YouTube, etc. There was a design plan for it, which... And you're gonna laugh. It was supposed to have a big circular weapon sort of cut 
into its hull that it would fire a big like particle beam out of and they were like oh that sounds good sounds dangerous sounds exciting sounds like it'd be good for a film and then they sort of thought about it for longer than five seconds and someone went no hang on that's the death star i said what i absolutely love do you know the shot in first contact where it leaves the cube that is not done with computers that is a practical effect shot they had a motion controlled hatch they had a big deep passageway and they had to open it and launch the thing out and capture it with the explosions and stuff and honestly look at that and tell me cgi is better than practical effect i don't care how old i sound and just a nice little bit of trivia for you here even though we do think of the cube as the quintessential borg ship after the spheres introduction in first contact it went on to make 11 appearances in star trek compared to the cubes 14 so it's pretty popular number six articuno i know i say this every time but paul's pony headlines are he's lucky he's good Pop quiz, how many times has the Borg Cube appeared in Star Trek ever since its introduction in the next generation right up until now? Anybody, anybody, anybody? So, so what's that? 30 times you say, oh, you're nearly right. It's 30 and a half. How can it appear half a time, Adam? What strange technicality is this? Well, whenever there's a strange technicality, you know what I'm gonna say? It was on Enterprise. Now you've seen the episode Regeneration. Of course you have, it's one of the good ones. It's the one that picks up from where First Contact left off and the stray bald corpses come back to life and they try to make their way home to the Delta Quadrant and it's a right old pickle for Captain Archer and his merry men. If you recall, they take over a ship called Arctic One, which looks like this. But then when the NX-01 eventually catches up to it, it looks like this. This is completely different. I know they're trying to assimilate and do various things, but that shape's all weird. It's all over the place. It's almost as if it's becoming more cuboid. Yes, designer John Eves himself has said that the original pitch was to come up with some kind of like Arctic based snowmobile looking thing, and then over the course of the episode, Borgify it. And his way of doing that was to make it steadily more cube in shape, with the idea being that is what it was ultimately going to transform into. But they didn't, of course, because it got blowed up, which must have been must have been really frustrating for the drones, that, because you go all the way, you travel all the way to the Alpha Quadrant, you get to Earth, you have the battle, then you go back in time and you're there with first contact and everything, and you're on the deflected dish and you fall off and you land on the planet and you somehow survive that and you're frozen in the ice and you're there for hundreds of years, you finally get revived, you start assimilating your way out, you escape the planet, you're heading back home and then, and then you die. That must be, that must be really annoying because, I'll tell you what, it had been a long road. <laughs> Number five, ball cubism. Now, the first season of Picard very prominently features a ball cube known as the Artifact. And while they never officially discuss what happened to it, where it came from, or why it is so dormant like that, it may be a callback to Star Trek Voyager. In the episode Timeless, Harry Kim does mention there is a dormant Borg vessel in the Beta Quadrant. On the face of it, just a regular Borg cube. It's got six sides, and it is square, and it is black, and with little green lights. It looks like every other Borg cube. But if you just inspect it a little bit harder and mentally ignore all the parts of it that have been blown off it has got these big deep grooved ridges into the side of it and that is a design cue taken from the borg tetragon which was once a thing yeah this was another john eves thing they asked him to come up with some new designs for a borg ship for this big film they were going to make and there was an obelisk proposed there was a tetragon that was designed pretty much all the way up to production and then they went actually do you know what Let's just do the cube. Now, <laughs> you're gonna love this. The interiors of the artifact were actually designed by Mark Worthington to reference the work of artist Lawrence Halperin, a man renowned for his cubist architecture. Yes, the cascading blocks, the floating geometric shapes, all taken from an artist who has like Borg stuff in his very job description. Good work. 
Number four, the next regeneration. Paul, I swear to God. Now, you remember the bit in Picard where Seven of Nine assumes the mantle of Queen and the ship starts to repair itself as all these little robots and nanites swarm over it to fix everything that's wrong with it. And you, an intelligent person, know that is a callback to the bit in The Next Generation where they zoom in on it and see that it is magically repairing itself as all these tubes and lines and panels just sort of like mysteriously float back into place. You know all that. But did you know this? Before the advent and popularization of CGI, how the hell do you think they achieved that effect? Mm -hmm. Basically, they assembled a small section of the ship and covered it in wax, right? Then they zoomed right in on it, they used a heat gun to melt the wax, and everything just sort of slowly fell away and fell apart. Then they reversed that footage. Kim Bailey in Starlight Effects, that is some absolutely genius work, and I'm really annoyed that we haven't referenced all the other times they filmed something one way and then reversed the footage to make it look cool in Star Trek, because I can think of like nine other examples of that. If only we had some kind of platform for collating all that information. Mm. Number three, Borgaros. <laughs> Do you remember when we did uh, remember when we did the uh, the Enterprise A one of these and it was like oh do you see that shot in uh, the Undiscovered Country that's actually just a toy model <laughs> but that never happened again yes in the Voyage episode Dark Frontier where they detail Annika Hansen's childhood you know, it's seven and nine's real name and how she got assimilated by the Borg and her parents were following it around in this ship because Starfleet actually knew about the Borg years before Picard first encountered it you you remember that bit don't you good. Well, as Magnus and Erin Hansen are pretty much signing their own death warrants, their daughter is playing with a model they have constructed of the ship they are following. And that, is, of course, is a model of a ball cube. And did they ask the VFX department? Did they ask the practical effects department? Did they ask the production team to go out and assemble them? A ball cube for a child to play with? No! That is the Lights and Sounds Borg Cube from Playmates Toys, released in 1994. It is literally a toy, which of course makes the line where a father walks past and says, Oi! That's not a toy! All the more funny. Oh, and they didn't stop there with all the toys, by the way. You know that where Kess has that really grisly vision of Species 8472 and all those Borg drones? Those Borg drones are from Toys R Us! Number two, Vital Systems. I know I'm getting very, oh my god, do you remember this bit now? But oh my god, do you remember this bit where the Enterprise turns up in first contact and they're all blasting parts of the Borg cube away and the insinuation is they've been doing that for days and days and days and still haven't destroyed the thing. And Picard goes, aha, you idiots, just hit this bit and it will explode. You do, you remember that bit. It was a big telling moment of character development. How even though Picard had left the Borg behind, and he was still haunted by his demons, by his visions, by his nightmares of that place and on some level was still kind of connected to the hive mind and thus could ascertain the precise weak spot of the Borg. You remember it because it was hooray for the heroes, but also troubling for our central protagonist. You remember it. You ever wondered what that bitty hit was? According to Ronald D. Moore in a, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, 1998 AOL web chat, I am so old, that bitty targeted was waste extraction. It'll get you every time. I know we've made a big fuss on this series about how like Star Trek just does not have toilets, but the Borg do, and if you throw enough torpedoes up them, they will explode, which when you think about it, what what is in waste extraction that could also be combustible? Yep, they blew up the poo. Number one, the Borg assimilated Spencers. Now, one of the things that has never changed about the Borg is their use of alcoves. We saw them in the first few episodes, they got a big redesign and looked far more sexy and scary in First Contact, but then again, what didn't, but pretty much they've been unchanged ever since. But what they did introduce in First Contact was the iconic like circle thing that sits above them and it's got the energy flowing through it and it's got like this green crackling lighting. That is pretty much the first thing you think of 
when you think of a Borg alcove now, and that was only introduced in First Contact. Now, this is a bit where we might disagree with our American viewers here, but I was sitting in the UK thinking that's just magical and wonderful, and surely only the power of cinema and television could ever make something like that real. There's no way you could ever have one of those in your home, for example. Of course, everybody watching in America would be like, ah yes, I remember that from shops. Sorry, sorry stores. Trademarked as Luma glass, they are basically just glass plates that have a crackle effect in them when you turn them on. They are apparently in America very common and not that exciting. And were you ever to head down to your local mall to visit Spencer Gifts, you could have procured one of those along with like fake vomit, toy dog poo, novelty t-shirts and sex toys, apparently. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.